Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this incredible day. We thank you for the new day you've given us. We thank you that it's Sunday. It's the Lord's day. It's the day we remember that you, Jesus, have risen from the dead. And Father, I thank you for every person here this morning. It is not an accident. And Holy Spirit, we invite you now to be our teacher, to speak to us, to touch us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your word is living and it's active. It is sharper than any edge, any double-edged sword. And I ask that you give me your words that I would say only what you want, nothing else, Lord Jesus, and that you would touch us and transform us by your presence, by your power, by your love. And we ask these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, it is a joy and privilege, as I said, up in the baptistry to see each and every one of you all here today. If you are here for the first time, welcome to the church at Woodbine. And our prayer for you is that you truly would experience our Heavenly Father's love that He has for you. It is an amazing love. It's an eternal love. It is something that is, it's un, it's unsearchable and yet knowable. It's eternal and yet very present. And we are so glad that you're here. I want to do a very quick review because we are no longer in the book of Luke. And it's kind of an inside joke. We've been going through the gospel of Luke since November. And now we're going to hit another book, the book of Ruth. It's a tiny little book. It's only four chapters. It's in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible or if it's your smartphone, go to the book of Ruth. If you want to start out, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Tiny little book. Ruth chapter 1. And Bearcat, thank you so much for reading. We gave you one, that was, as we say in Spanish, with a lot of travelenguas. A whole lot of words and names in here that are very hard. But Ruth chapter 1. And I want to do just a quick little review of what we saw in the Gospel of Luke. Very quickly. There are three things that I'd, I hope that you guys can remember about the Gospel of Luke. The first one is this. Jesus meets us where we are. He meets us where we are. That's how our Heavenly Father, He loves us so much that He will walk to us and walk with us regardless of what we've done or what we're doing or our past or our present. He loves us so much that He meets us where we are. Number two, we talk all the time about reading God's Word. And there's a phrase I use a lot. We read God's written Word to encounter the living Word, which is Jesus Himself. This is his love letter for you and for me. And God longs for you to get to know him. And we do that first and foremost through his written word. The third thing is this, the urgency and the hope of the gospel. I got a lot of emails last week about my sermon. I saw on a lot of rocks. It's really hard. But the urgency of the gospel, and God has called us to be ambassadors of Christ, imploring the world to put their faith in Jesus. Today in Ruth chapter 1. To get started, I've got a story to share with you, but I've got a question first. Have you ever lost anything of significance? Have you ever lost anything of significance? Your wallet, your phone, a car, article of clothing, maybe friends, a loved one? All of us this past year with COVID, we've all have lost something. It might be as trivial as not being able to go to a movie or to our favorite restaurant. Some of us have lost dear loved ones. All of us have lost something. I'll never forget when I was six years old, we were living in North Carolina. Star Wars had just come out, the original first Star Wars. 
It was an incredible blockbuster, and it has radically changed how we watch movies. More importantly, the Star Wars figures came out. They're about four inches, five inches tall. We had them all. And they would come with these tiny little guns, these little plastic guns, and I had stormtroopers. And I was out in our backfield, and I lost one of the guns. I mean, it's no bigger than the paper clip. And I came running back to the house, utterly distraught, crying because I had lost the gun to the Star Wars character. And without the gun, the stormtrooper is pointless and worthless. And we went back out in that field, and we found it. A needle in a haystack. Now, losing a little gun of a toy is really nothing. But for a little six-year-old, it meant the world to me. So I don't make light of loss. And we're going to look here in this chapter here, Luke chapter 1, of some incredible loss. How did Naomi respond? How did Ruth respond? Right here in a little bit of context, we'll read verse 1 through 5 real quick. It says this, and this right here, this, the first five verses in this chapter is packed with cultural stuff that I think most of us could easily read right over and not even think about it. Look at what this says right here. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her two sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the other, and the second one was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malan and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. What would you title those first six verses? Death and loss. It says that during the time of the Judges, in Judges chapter 17, there's a verse in Judges chapter 17, and this is really important to give you context. This is after the life of Moses and Joshua. Moses brought the people out of slavery from Egypt. He took them through the desert for 40 years. Moses died. Then Joshua took them into the promised land, and they began to conquer the promised land and take it over. It was God's promise to the Israelites, to his people, that that would be their land, that that would be their place. Joshua dies, and then the judges take over. And in chapter 17, I believe it's 17, but it's the judges' passage, Chris. It's the only one I have on there. It says that during the time of the judges, look at what it says. There was no king in Israel. So this is about 200 years before King Saul and King David. It's about 200 years after the life of Moses. Look at what it says. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him or her. Think about it. This is 21st century United States. Everyone did what they thought whatever seemed right to them. Think about it. How does our culture live today? In Spanish we say, cada quien a su lado. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Think about it. How are we living today? How does our culture live today? And that was what was going on during the book of Ruth. Now, there was a famine. Think about what happened. There was a famine. And see, we live where we have Walmart, we have Kroger, we have Publix, we have Whole Foods, we have Target, we have all these grocery stores. And if we go through a drought here in Tennessee, who cares? It's one of the wettest places on the planet. We have all this technology where if we go through a drought, big deal. Do we suffer? Not really. 
But there's places in the world today where there's utter drought. And if it doesn't rain, if rainy season does not come, there is no crop and there'll be utter death. Think about 3,000 years ago, 3,200 years ago, where they didn't have the technology. And there was a famine, there was a great drought. Think of the hopelessness that the people would have. When it doesn't rain here for a month, do you even think about it except for the flowers that are dying around your house? And so they travel to Moab. It's about a 90-mile travel for them on foot. Three, four, five, six, seven-day travel. Moab traditionally was a country that was enemy of Israel. But it was so bad that they traveled to another country where there actually is harvest. And it says that Elimelech and Naomi lived there for about 10 years. They take their two sons with them. They probably were teenagers at the time. And there's a lot of us who have lived in other countries, or maybe the United States is not your home country. When you live in another country, it can make you feel and think a whole lot of things that are very uncomfortable. You don't, you don't understand the language. You don't understand the cultures. Their belief system could possibly be, be very different. You could be outcast. You're a foreigner. I mean, think of the vitriol that's going on about everyone flooding the border here in the United States. And I don't want to get political, but think about some of the horrible things that people say about those people on the border. And the fear that gets thrown out on every side. And if you've ever lived in another country, I did, you guys know. And I got pulled over by the police almost every week for being blue-eyed. And I knew that I'd have to give a donation to their college kids fund. That's a joke. I did give donations. And here they are in a far, far off land, strangers, foreigners, and Elimelech dies. The two sons marry these two girls from Moab. Then the two sons die. So here we have Naomi living in a foreign land. Her husband has died. Her two boys have died, and she's left with her two daughters-in-laws. Daughters-in-law. Think of the grief and pain and loss Naomi is going through. Back during that time, if you were a widow with no close relative, your future was bleak. There was no social security There was no retirement, and there was no one to protect you. Think about Naomi's situation. And we're going to look at it because when she chooses, and she says, it says in verse 6, she and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She had heard in Moab that back in Bethlehem, There was food again. And she decides to return home. To what? She doesn't have any close relative. But she decides to go home. And we see the story as it unfolds. This is act part two. The second act of this story here. The first one is grief and loss. The second part of this story. The second act is commitment and kindness. As she heads back to Bethlehem, 
And see, Bethlehem wasn't famous yet. King David's not around. Jesus is still in heaven. We hear of Bethlehem and we think of maybe David. We definitely think of Christmas and Jesus being born there. Bethlehem at that time was just a small little old hick town and one of the most fertile places in all of Israel. And she goes back and her two daughters-in-law, they go with her, they accompany her. But look at what she says in verse 8. Look at what Naomi says in verse 8. She tells her two daughters-in-law, each of you go back to your mother's home and may the Lord show kindness to you the way you've shown kindness to me. I would love to know what type of relationship Naomi had with Orpah and with Ruth. It was deep. Here we have three widows. We have three women with very little protection, very little security for their future. And they have shown her utter kindness to her mother-in-law. I'm not going to share any mother-in-law jokes, okay? But it definitely doesn't apply here because these three ladies, they loved one another. They were committed to one another. And Naomi, in all of her grief, she is thinking about her two daughters-in-law. She tells them, go back to your own mother's home. Go back to stay with your own people. Go back. And then look at what she says. She says here in verse 9, May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. And she kissed them and they wept loudly. These three women are utterly grieved. And it looks as if they have no future. But they said to her, we insist on returning with you. If you read this chapter, the word return is repeated over and over and over. Return, return, return. Here in verse 11, but Naomi replied and Naomi says, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? And then she goes into this funny little saying, if I were to have a husband today and give birth tomorrow, would you actually stay around for 15, 20 years until my next son is old enough for you to marry? And she's alluding to a custom back during this time where if there was a husband and wife and if the husband passed away, the wife would then, she would join with one of the, her ex or her former husband's brothers and become one of his wives to Guard and preserve the family line. And so that's what Ruth is alluding, that's what Naomi is alluding to. Would you actually stay faithful to me for another 20 years and do I add another kid? It's an impossibility. I'm not even married. So why stay with me? And what happens? Orpah, she weeps, but she decides to return home. And then we jump over here, we jump over here to verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 14. Again, they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. And Naomi says a couple of different times in this chapter here, the Lord's hand is against me. It's heavy upon me. I ask the question, when we go through suffering and pain and loss, do we have the courage to tell God, why is your hand against me? Do we have the honesty and the courage to be that honest with God and say, why? Too many of us are afraid to be that honest with God. He knows it already. So why try to hide it? How many people feel like they've got to fix their lives up before they come to church? They got to get their lives straight before they come to Jesus. Our lives are a mess as it is. He is the one who cleanses us and makes us whole. 
And Naomi pleads with Ruth, follow your sister. Go back to your people and to your gods. What does Ruth say? This is awesome. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Think about what Ruth is saying. That 10-year relationship that Ruth had with Naomi, as they lived there, she lived under the household of Naomi, married to Naomi's son. Ruth not only saw the love that Naomi had for her own boys, and she didn't not only experience the love that Ruth had for that Naomi had for Ruth, but Ruth was convinced that the God of Naomi was the only true God, and Ruth was willing to forsake her gods to cling to the God of Israel. And she was willing to become a foreigner and an outcast. Ruth was willing to go with Naomi to a foreign land with no assurance of any future. Yet Ruth had experienced the power of God through Naomi and Naomi's faith that she had committed herself. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And may the Lord ever judge me so severely if I do not die where you are and be buried with you. There's a verse that was said thousands of years later. When Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And Ruth is a foreshadow of a disciple of Jesus. So right here in verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Then the two of them arrived, and this is Act 3. This is Act 3 of this chapter here. Hope in despair. Look at what Naomi says and look at what the people say. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. That's verse 19. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local woman explained, can this be Naomi? Now we have to remember, they didn't have phones. They didn't have FaceTime. They didn't have Snap. They didn't have any of the technology. They haven't seen Naomi for at least 10 years. There's been very little communication, if any at all. And when Naomi gets back, the whole little town, they're so excited. This is Naomi. This is Naomi. Could this be Naomi? And how does Naomi respond? What does she say? Don't call me Naomi. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. Say the word bitter. Not better, bitter. Bitter. Have you ever tasted anything bitter? Back when we'd do Sunday school as a teenager, we'd put, I think it's called olam. It's this white powder we put in the Oreo cookie. And it's very bitter. And we could tell which kids ate it. Bitter. Her life, and she says, the Almighty, His hand has been pressed upon me, and my life is bitter. Don't call me Mara. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Bitter. Pressed down. Think about Naomi's life. Ten years a foreigner. Her husband is dead. Her two boys are dead. If there's anyone in this story that has a right to clench their fist and hold it up to God and say, life isn't fair, it's Naomi.
We continue. Verse 21, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has opposed me. Have you ever felt like God was opposing you? I have. And when we go through suffering, when we go through trials, when we go through tribulation, when we go through loss, it hurts and it's confusing and it's infuriating. And we ask the question, God, if you're so good and if you're love, why do bad things happen to good people? Why? If you read the Psalms enough, you will see it. I read it this morning, Psalm 9. Why, O Lord, why do the wicked, why do the evil prosper? Why don't you answer my prayers? Why don't you respond? And Naomi right here, she's, God, why? I went away full and came back with nothing. And then this chapter ends with a tiny bit of hope. Right here in verse 22. So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. You see, there's hope. There's a ray of hope. But what does this chapter, how do we apply this chapter to our own lives? We look at the story of Naomi, and we look at the loss and the trials and the grief that she's going through. And I want us, let's take off the masks, not the COVID masks. Let's take off the masks of pretending. There are four things, and there's numerous things that we could pull out of this passage here that we could apply to our own lives, but there's four things. The first one is this. All of us, all of us will live through loss, trials, tribulations. All of us will. Some of us much more than others. And that is a reality that we need to embrace and accept that life isn't fair. And we will suffer. The prosperity gospel is a gospel from hell where it says that God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. Not on this side of eternity. God calls us to be holy and only Jesus makes us holy. But here's the kicker. When we go through loss and great loss, Naomi embraced what? She embraced bitterness. She even changed her name. Call me Mara. Because I went away full and I've come back empty. You see, there's several passages in Scripture. One is in Ephesians 4.26, and I think many of you guys know this. It says, In your anger, do not be angry and sin. Depends on your translation. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity or foothold. You see, when injustice and evil come our way, when we suffer loss 
we should get angry. If we don't get angry, then we have to ask the question, do we even care or do we even love? And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, many people think that the opposite of love is hate. But I propose to you, I think it could be indifference. And when we go through difficult trials and tribulations, bitterness can seep into the very marrow of our bones, and then we become bitter. And when we become bitter, what we're doing is we're letting the sun go down in our anger And then we're giving an opportunity for Satan to have a foothold, an opportunity in our lives. So when we go through great loss and when we go through loss, we should respond out of anger. It's not right when we see injustices or when injustice happen and come our way or when we've lost dear loved ones, we will go through great grief. And it's a process. It takes a long time. And when we go through grief, we shouldn't expect to be happy the next day. We should grieve and we will grieve. And part of that grief is being angry. Part of that grief is being bitter. Part of that grief is asking the hard questions. Why, God, and where are you and what's going on and what have I done? And who are you, God? If you truly are loving, where is your love? And if you truly are good, then what's what in the world? And if you're all powerful and almighty, we have to ask those questions. We should ask those questions. Jesus invites us to ask those questions. But he gives us those two things. In your anger, don't sin. And in Hebrews, in Hebrews, there's an incredible verse in Hebrews that talks about the root of bitterness. And the author of Hebrews, he says this, we have this hope as an anchor. No, next one, sorry, Chris. He talks about don't let a root of bitterness. Sorry, I've got a lot of Hebrews passages back there. But basically it says, don't let a root of bitterness fester in your heart. Because when we become bitter, what happens is when things happen to us, when injustice happens to us, and there's great loss, here it is, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. Because many times our righteous anger will quickly turn into bitterness and condemnation and unforgiveness, and hate, and judgments, and desires for revenge. And quickly our bitterness not only turns against others, but then it turns against God himself. And we begin to judge God, and we begin to hold vengeance and bitterness against God. And what that bitterness does, it doesn't affect, it can affect the other person, but it actually destroys our souls. It destroys our minds. And the roots of bitterness utterly take control of our heart, and then they squeeze it till there's no longer life in it anymore. And so that's why the author of Hebrews, and that's why Paul in Ephesians says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let your sun go down. So when we experience loss, I implore you. And I know there are many of us here today that have suffered tremendous loss just this year. And you could say the exact same thing that Naomi is saying right now. I entered 2020 full. And it's May of 2021. And I'm empty. The third thing in this chapter is the living hope of Jesus. 
Hebrews 6, 19 says we have this anchor of hope, and it's Jesus. And then the fourth thing out of this chapter 1, and I know it's late, guys. We'll just let the Methodists, the Episcopalians go first in the buffet. Hebrews is an incredible book. I encourage you to read it. It's very confusing. But chapter 12, the author of Hebrews, not only does he talk about don't let bitterness, you know, be entangle you, but we have this living hope as an anchor. And then here in chapter 12, and this is one of my favorite verses, and if you've heard me the past couple of months, I've got a lot of favorites. This author says, since we have are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. It's like kind of like right now, I'm surrounded by all you as witnesses. It's like in a stadium, Olympic stadium, and we're running the race. What does it tell us to do? It says, let us lay aside every hindrance and every sin that entangles. We don't just lay aside the sin that entangles us. We lay aside the hindrances, the habits, maybe friendships, maybe things we do, things we have, attitudes that we have, the bitterness, the hurt, false beliefs about who God is, about who we are. We lay it all aside, everything that hinders, everything that ensnares, and we run with what? Endurance. Say it. Endurance. Perseverance. Endurance. We run with endurance. The race that lies before us. We run with great endurance, but we don't just run. We don't just throw the things off to the left and to the right. But what do we have to do? The final thing is this. We keep our eyes. We fix our eyes on who? On Jesus. He's the author and he's the perfecter. He's the source of our faith. He's the founder. He's the complete pioneer of our faith. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And then it says, who for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross and he scorned its shame, despising it. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we lay everything aside, even in our bitterness and our loss and our grief, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Because I don't think there's anyone here who could stand before the cross with Jesus hanging on it with our finger in his face telling Jesus life isn't fair because it's not fair. He's the only sinless human that ever lived and yet he was punished for all of our sins. And when we fix our eyes on him and we lay aside our hurt and our pain and our bitterness, and we give it all to him, we give our loss to him, everything we lay at his feet. And the way Ruth told Naomi, we say say the same thing to Jesus. Jesus, wherever you go, I will follow. And you are my God, and I give myself to you. Even when I'm full of bitterness, even when I'm grieving, and I'm experiencing great loss, I will follow you. And just like this last verse here, he has a harvest for us. He has an inheritance for us that is far above anything we could possibly imagine. But our eyes need to be fixed on him. I want to ask the worship team to come forward and we're going to close with the song. 
And I really just want to encourage you guys. And guys, I'm not going to ask the last couple questions. But I want us all to stand now, and I really want to encourage us. If you are holding on to any type of bitterness, actually, no, let's stay seated. I want to do this. Where's the team you can come for? I'm going to ask a question. This will require courage for some of us. If you are holding on to what you have lost, if you're holding on to bitterness or other heart attitudes that are entangling your walk with Jesus, I want to ask you to stand. I'll be first. Oh, you beat me. Good job. If you're holding on to things that are entangling, you're running to Jesus. You're following Jesus. I want to ask you to stand. And those of us who are seated, just look around, extend your arms to them. Let's pray for these people. If you've experienced great loss and you're just hurting, I want you to stand because we want to pray for you. I just want to pray that the healing balm of Jesus and his love and his presence just touch you and heal you and comfort you because many times in life we feel like God's hand is opposed and it's against us and it's heavy upon us and it hurts. And life isn't fair. And what we need is we need the good shepherd to come to us and just to hold us and embrace us and lift us up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each and every one of my dear brothers and sisters who are here right now, who have taken that bold step to stand up and to admit that they have bitterness in their hearts. They're admitting their loss and their anger and their frustration, even maybe their confusion but they're confessing to you that it's entangling their walk, their love, their race that you've laid before them to run. And Jesus, I thank you that you are the good and great shepherd. You know us better than we know ourselves. You are the great physician and you love to bring healing. And Jesus, I confess to you, I can be so bitter and so judgmental. And Lord Jesus, for my dear brothers and sisters who are here today, who I know have lost very dear people in their lives, Jesus, comfort them now. Embrace them with your arms of love. And Jesus, for all of us, and I want to invite everybody to stand. Jesus, for all of us, may we truly commit our lives to you every day to go where you lead us to follow you to surrender all that we have to you because you are worthy thank you Lord